Lord our God, you are holy, you are righteous, you are just, you are wise. You have given us your law, the Ten Commandments, and therefore good. May you be pleased to use them first to convict us of our sins, and then lead us to Jesus, our Savior. And then teach and guide us how we should live a life of gratitude and praise to your name. And stop our ears to hear your word. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may see wonderful things out of your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, dear friends, let us turn to Exodus chapter 20. And this morning I do want to uh, speak on the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, starting at verse 1, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. A couple of weeks ago, I was reading the Ten Commandments on my knees in the morning, and then suddenly, as if I had never known it before, a flash of light of understanding flashed on my mind, and I was saying to myself, Johnny, can't you see that the Ten Commandments are all about your relationship with God? The Ten Commandments are my relationship with God. It wasn't that I did not know it before, but it came as a new light and conviction that the Ten Commandments are not a set of dead rules and regulations. Thou shalt or thou shalt not. The Ten Commandments are relationship things. They have to do with my relationship with my Lord, my Creator, my Savior, my Redeemer. Thou shalt not is based on who I am and whose you are. God is saying to each one of us, you are mine and I'm yours. So this is how you are to live your life before me. Now as you know, the Ten Commandments have two parts. The first part uh, is the first four commandments. And they have to do with our personal faithfulness to God. The issue is, am I faithful to God? I am the Lord your God. 
And the second part of the Ten Commandments has to do with our relationship with people. I am to have righteous relationship with all sorts of people, starting with my parents and to my neighbors and to my friends. You notice just now when our elder read to us the Ten Commandments in the King James Version, uh, there are some strange words, isn't it? Words like that. May I ask you, does thou knowest the meaning of thou? It's very ancient language, isn't it? Thou means you in the singular. It just not ask you, uh, do you know the meaning of thou? Uh, in no English it means all of you. But if I should say, thus thou knowest, it means to you, each one of you in particular. Now, in both the Hebrew language and the Greek language, they have this singular you. But in modern English, we don't have that singular you and the plural you distinguished. And in my home language, in my mother tongue, Chinese, we don't have that. Uh, well, we can make that distinction in Chinese. Uh, you, uh, singular and plural, but usually it's not that clear. So, one of the tricks without learning Hebrew and Greek, but pick up the nuance, some of these nuances in the Hebrew, uh, Old Testament, Greek, New Testament, is to use or read the King James Bible. Not that you have to read the whole lot, but notice some of this. So, the Ten Commandments are God's words and commands addressed to each one of the individual Israelites. Each one of you. Not just the whole of you, but each one of you. And by the way, of course, when we know the meaning of thou or thee, the singular you, uh, it helps in our singing of the hymns. So without much ado, we go to the preface to the Ten Commandments. Uh, I was a bit nervous when an elder came out to read the Ten Commandments to us. I was thinking to myself, would Gerard miss reading the preface? But no, no, no. He knows the Bible too well to miss that. Well, there's a preface, isn't it? Verse 1 of Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words. It's God's word, notice, saying, that's a preface. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You notice the relationship? God is saying here, I am your God, and I have brought you out of the land of slavery. You are no longer slave in Egypt. You are now my people. My children, my servant, and therefore you are to serve me. 
You know where the people of Israel were in Egypt? They were slaves. They were working 365 days without a break. There was no holiday for slaves. No Sabbath, no Sunday, no lost day, no sick leave. Suddenly, no maternity leave. Every day you have to work. And you work a slave. And they would have no time for worship. How could they say to Pharaoh, Well, sorry, king, uh, we, we are going to have a day off for worship. Or we are going to hold a festival to worship the Lord our God. No way. Slave have no break. But now they are set free. They have left Egypt. The Lord their God had brought them out of Egypt. And God is here saying to them, you are to serve me. Why? Because you are mine. And my dear Christian friends this morning, may I remind you that we are saved to serve God. We are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ to serve God. We are no longer slaves to sin, but we are not masters of our own souls. We are servants of the living God. We are children of the Lord. Paul says in Titus, about our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Do you know this, my brothers and sisters? You know this, don't you? But let us be reminded that our Lord Jesus Christ, he has given himself for us. And he has redeemed us from not just some sins, but every, every disobedience to God, from every sin, so that we shall be sanctified and set apart to be God's own peculiar people, zealous for good works. When you go to work tomorrow morning, and you behave in a distinctly Christian way. People only say to you, how come you are like, like this? You are peculiar. And you say to them, yes, I'm peculiar. Thank God I'm peculiar because I belong peculiarly to the Lord. I've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And on you go, you can share the gospel. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, we are told, by grace, we've been saved for faith, not by our works, but then we are saved for good works. You see the sequence, the logic? We are not saved by works, we are saved to do good works. We do not labor for life. 
we labor from life. We do not toil for acceptance with God. We toil from our acceptance with the Lord. And friends, I also need to tell you this. Unless you are saved, unless you know that you are redeemed by the blood of Christ, you cannot keep the Ten Commandments. You know that? Until you and I really know that we are redeemed by the blood of Christ, the first commandment to love God supremely is really distasteful to us. You're going to say, No, I can't love God with all my heart and soul and might. I don't want to. It's not just I cannot, but I do not want to, you know? Until you are born of the Spirit, you cannot even keep the first commandment. And unless you've been redeemed by Christ to give the lost state to the Lord, it's too demanding and too threatening to your personal freedom. How can I give a whole day to the Lord? This is encroaching on my personal freedom. This is too restrictive. So friends, I want to underline, unless you are saved, unless you have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, you cannot keep the Ten Commandments. And for some of you, you have no heart to keep the Ten Commandments. And what you should do is not to break the Ten Commandments more, but you cry to the Lord, you bow your knees before God and say, Lord, I cannot love you. I cannot keep your day holy. I have no desire for you and this is my trouble. And please come and speak to me. Break my stony heart. Give me a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. Move me. Melt me with your love. And you will never go wrong. Whatever your spiritual condition may be, to cry to God. Make Jesus near and dear to me. No matter how spiritual you may be, no matter how many books you have read, no matter how learned you may be, how godly you may be, you can still cry out to God, Lord, melt me with your love. So that's a preface. Now we come on to the first commandment. What is it? You know that, don't you? You shall have no other gods before me. To the Israelites, they were so used to seeing many gods, many idols in Egypt. God says to them, you shall have no other gods before me. And don't miss that before me. My dear friends, we cannot live our life away from God. You can take 
a holiday to the moon. There, you live your life before God. There's not a single moment that we can exist without existing before God. To the believer, it's a comforting thought, isn't it? When we fall into sleep, when we may be unconscious, when we may get old, so old, that we may lose our mind, we still live our life before God. So that of a great comfort. For believers, that's a great comfort, isn't it? No matter how weak we may be, no matter how many things we may forget, we are still like a baby asleep in the sight of a watching mother. What a comfort. We live our lives before God. And the first commandment, well, you shall have no other gods before me. What is this all about? Is it just about, well, when you go to Bali, don't go to worship in the temple, or when you go to Thailand, uh, don't fall into idolatry, things like that? It's more than that, isn't it? The first commandment is a commandment of love. You cannot have any other God before me. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your might, with all your strength. Who has done it? Completely. Without fail. Who? Who? You know who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one, he's the only one who has truly loved the Lord, his God, his Father, with all his heart, with all his might, with all his strength, all the time without failing. But friends, the Lord Jesus Christ had also loved us and given himself to us and redeemed us by his blood and therefore we should, and I say we can, in sincerity, though not in perfection. Love the Lord our God more than any other things. Our Lord Jesus says to his own disciples, He who loved father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loved sons or son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And that's true. This is the cause of discipleship. We are to love Jesus more than we love our father or mother or children. Naturally, we love our parents. Naturally, we love our children. But there may come a time, there may come a situation, either you love God or you love your children. It's painful. By the grace of God, we are to say, I love God more than my kids. Can you say that? And it's liberating to say that. There are quite a number of people 
who idolize their children. And when they have a breakdown of relationship with their children, they are completely broken down. Because my children are my gods. I must hold on to them. If anything should happen in our relationship, I'll just collapse. But to a Christian believer, it is not to be so. I may lose my children, but I will never lose my God. And it is a liberation. It's a liberation. Let me ask you, friends, are you willing to put God first in your life? Are you willing? Are you men willing to say no to your wife? If saying yes to your wife means unfaithfulness to God. You know, some men are cowards. They worship their wives. We move on to the second commandment. Yeah, you notice here. It's pretty long, isn't it? The Ten Commandments come in unequal length. Some are very short. Like thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. In Hebrew, there are only two words. No adultery. No murder. Simple. But the second commandment is pretty long. Let me read to you. You shall not make for yourself a calf image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, and that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Wow, what a long commandment. What's the point? Because there's a need for the length. Down through the ages, you know your Old Testament, a perennial snare to the people of Israel before the exile was to make idols out of God. They might be saying, we are making the golden calf to represent God. They, they did not mean to worship other gods, but we use the golden calf to represent God. You know, calf, strength, gold, riches, glory, uh, uh, wealth, honor, to represent God that that's reasonable, isn't it? God says, no. You are not allowed to make any pictorial or physical representation of me. Why? Because I'm a jealous God. You say, what? God is jealous? Yes, the Bible tells us God is a jealous God. He's jealous of His worship. He's jealous of His people's faithfulness and loyalty to Him. Now, some of you may say, how, how can God be jealous? If God is not jealous, 
of his own worship is not a holy God. Can you imagine? I hope you'll never have that. Just imagine. If one day the wife discovered that in her husband's phone there's a new screen saver. And the wife picked up the husband's phone and said, What is the picture of this woman? Or the husband said, Well, doesn't she look beautiful? Yes, she looks just too beautiful, too attractive. Oh, who is she? Well, look, my dear darling, uh, she's a representation of you, my dear wife. You say, me? Oh yes, my dear darling, you, 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 you come from Malaysia originally, right? And this is the picture of uh, Miss Malaysia. And in my eyes, you are as beautiful as a Miss Malaysia. What would the wife say? The wife would go mad, isn't it? Right? What if the wife should say, Oh, that's, that sounds pretty interesting. I quite like it. Well, there will be something wrong with the wife. In marriage, there's a holy jealousy between husband and wife. And it's in a good marriage, there is. So God does not want his people to use any physical, pictorial representation of himself. Now this was the problem of the people of Israel before the exile, and this has been the problem of the church down for the ages. Up until now, we won't like to mention names, but icons, images. I remember in my home church, it used to be uh, that the church would give out his, to its members a calendar every year. Uh, and to save money, they will give you a picture of Jesus on a cardboard and a, a date pack for each different year. So you use the same cardboard every year, but you have a different day pack for the year. And that picture of Jesus is a picture of a blonde hair, blue eye, a slim, good-looking German man. What do you think of that? Well, you want to say to me, well, Jesus would not look like a nice-looking, slim, blonde hair, blue-eyed German guy. How about if we replace that picture with an olive skin, a Taliban look alike man? Would that do? Can we make pictures of Jesus? You, you got some of these children's book and they got cartoons or drawings of Jesus. And the children are bound to ask this question, is this Jesus? And you say, yes. If you say yes, that's patently false, isn't it? That's not Jesus. For sure, we don't know how Jesus looks like. 
But if you say, no, no, this is, this, this, no, this is not Jesus. Why do you say that it's Jesus? You, you see the difficulty? And the false representation? And it's not just that we are not allowed to have pictorial representation of God or Jesus. We are not allowed to have any wrong ideas about God. We heard a lot of people saying something like this. I don't think God can be like that. I don't think God is like that. How do you know? Or how do I know? How, how can we have correct ideas about God? This is the heart of the second commandment. How? By steeping ourselves in the Holy Scriptures. When the Bible says God is a jealous God, we have to understand what does it mean. When the Bible says God feels his anger every day, we are going to discover what it means. When the Bible says God is love, we are going to discover what it means. When the Bible talks about God's mercies and faithfulness and righteousness and his just judgment, we are to find out what do they mean. And where do we find out what God is like? except supremely in the life, in the person, in the character, in the teaching, in the work, in the death, in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Only as we know Christ, only as we steep ourselves in the Bible, we can know God correctly. The third commandment. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Again, can you not see this is a relationship thing? You shall not take the name of the Lord your God. The name of God is the name of your God. You shall not take his name in vain, and God will not hold him who takes his name in vain as guiltless. Now it is usually understood this third commandment means we are not to abuse God's name. Sadly, it has become part of the English language worldwide now, isn't it? To be abusing God's name by whether the full names of God or whether the names of Jesus and uh, or shorten abbreviated forms or the attributes of God like goodness, like mercy and so on. How do you feel? When you go to work and people in a moment of anger and frustration burst out the sacred name of our Lord Jesus. Well, then suddenly breaking the third commandment. And there has been a long-standing Jewish practice of avoiding pronouncing the covenant name of God. You know what we translate here, L-O-R-D in capital letters, uh, is the covenant name of God, the special name of God to his own people. 
And the Jews thought, well, we better keep the third commandment. We better be very careful. How about we stop pronouncing the name of God completely? That would help, isn't it? If we don't pronounce the name of the Lord our God, then we are not going to break the third commandment. And therefore they stop pronouncing the covenant name of the Lord, their God, for a long, long time. So much so, that now we do not even know how to pronounce the covenant name of the Lord. In the Chinese Bible, we translate the covenant name of the Lord as Jehovah. That was 19th century. That was up-to-date 19th century scholarship. But now, the modern scholarship tells us that that's, that's wrong, that has been wrong, because it's the hybrid word. And now the scholar says, we should pronounce the name of the covenant name of the Lord our God as Yahweh. I don't quite like Yahweh. I actually prefer Jehovah. But Yahweh sounds some sort of uh, idol, isn't it? Uh, Yahweh, your Lord. Doesn't sound right. Well, you know what the, what the Greek translation of the Old Testament Bible uh, does? 200 years before Jesus, uh, there was a group of scholars, Hebrew scholars, they translated the Hebrew Bible into Greek. Uh, they were in Egypt and they adopted this way. Whenever they come across the covenant name of the Lord in Hebrew, YHWH, they translate it as Kurios, Lord. Lord. And that's why in the English translation up until now, we have this custom. Uh, whenever you have the covenant name of the Lord, we translate it as the Lord, but spelled in capital letters. Okay, the coming back to the third commandment. Is the third commandment just about uh, not pronouncing or, or mispronouncing the covenant name of the Lord? Make sure your pronunciation is right. Is it about that? It's something more fundamental. We can be very proud to be Australians. Australia has invented lots of things. And one of our uh, professors, Professor Alan Hartman, in a groundbreaking article, he has explained to us the meaning of the third commandment, I believe, quite decisively. It's very simple. You shall not take, it means to bear in Hebrew, or take up the name of the Lord your God in vain. It means this. You shall not bear the name of the Lord your God. You shall not say that you are believers without a heartfelt reality. This is the third commandment. This is the gist at the heart of the third commandment. It's addressing our sin of hypocrisy. The sin that our Lord Jesus denounced so vehemently. We say we are Christians. Yes, we profess to be Christians, but do we deny God in the way we live? You say you are a believer, but deep down in your heart, do you believe in God? 
Is there reality in your Christian profession? I'm not talking about stumbling into sins here and there. Every now and then, even every day. I'm talking about the heartfelt reality of your profession of faith. Is there reality in your profession of faith? In the depth of your being, do you believe in the Lord your God? From the heart of your heart, do you want to honor God? Do you want to serve Him? Do you value God above all? You know, it will show. It will show. People, even our family members, our colleagues, may point out some of the inconsistency of, in our lives. That is not the issue. The issue is in the depth of your being. Do you love the Lord your God? And I said, that will show. We cannot harm. My dear friends, I do not say this out of fun. You know, part of the reason why there are so many atheists in our time is because in days gone by, and even now, there have been Christians or even Christian leaders who live patently ungodly, immoral, covetous lives. The French Revolution happened partly because of the gross failure of the Church of Rome in that country. The way so many of the clergy behaved in those days brought about a strong reaction. You know, sometimes this accusation may be wrong and false, but unfortunately, in the long history of the church, there have been so many people claiming to be Christians, but have no reality whatsoever. You know, you know in the Middle Ages, come Easter time, uh, people in Europe, under the Church of Rome, they would have passion play, they would have a man pretending to be Jesus and to be crucified, and they would have a march uh, on the street, and after that they would say, let's go and bash up the Jews. They kill our Lord. Do you think that is Christian behavior? No wonder to this day, it's so hard for Jews to believe in Jesus because in their long history of persecution and suffering, they have been abused by so-called Christian and Christian church. A great stumbling block. To unbelievers coming to faith in Christ is the patent sins and disobedience of professing Christians. 
I can tell you horror stories, which I'm not going to tell you this morning. Some so-called evangelical Christians can behave. That is taking the name of the Lord our God in vain. Now we come to the fourth commandment. And notice, this is the longest of all the Ten Commandments. You notice the Ten Commandments in its first part is coming to a climax, to a crescendo. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. You know what's the fourth commandment? And there's a lot of repetition here. Reason is given because the Lord your God is your creator, your maker. It is really testing our profession of faith in God in the most practical way. You say you love God, He is the real test. We are commanded to devote one day in seven entirely to the Lord. That's the practical test. How do I show my love for the Lord? What has He asked of me? Well, many things. But prove yourself. The Lord says, you are to keep the Sabbath day to the Lord your God. Again, it's a personal relationship thing. The Sabbath day is not so much about, oh, I'm not allowed to do this or do that. But we are commanded to devote one day in seven entirely to the Lord. It's very practical, isn't it? It's very threatening. Is it not so? Now this morning, I'm not going to elaborate on what we are to do or not to do on the Lord's day, except to say this to you. The Lord's day is to be kept to the Lord. One day in seven, entirely to the Lord. To his service, to his work, to the fellowship with God's people, to evangelism, the ministry. Now what I want you to do as I close is this. Go home, read through the Ten Commandments and the Fourth Commandments, and you go to ask the Lord, Lord, have I shortchanged you? You ask for a day. Have I given you a day? And you work out your relationship with the Lord your God in that most practical way. Let's pray.
Lord our God, give us grace to call the Sabbath our delight, the day of the Lord our joy, because you are our joy. And you have joy over us. You have given us your Son. And we have been redeemed by His blood. Help us, O oh God, to honor you and serve you, to be real believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen.